Welcome to Q&A, a podcast series of conversations with artists from the Kaddish Gallery at St. Ambrose University. I thought it would be interesting to hear you talk a little bit about the relationship between the kind of work you've done here in the Kaddish Gallery and the work that you've shown out in the Morrissey, which is, like I guess, more professionally oriented mm-hmm. work. Or Not that this isn't professional work, yeah, I mean, a professional not. artist versus a designer, I guess, <laughs> right, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, do you want to talk about how they interrelate or how they diverge, maybe? Yeah, well, I think one of the things that's been a good thing and sometimes a struggle for me as an artist is that I think a lot of things that are in the case, they have have a particular destination in mind so that they'll either be fabric or they'll be for a children's book illustration or for a magazine and sometimes not something that's necessarily nailed down but in my head I'm designing something for fabric or for something else and so I really wanted that for a long time because I think it's it was it's motivating so I went to school for painting and drawing so I was making lots of oil painting the life oil paintings and would have those in galleries sometimes and sometimes they would sell and but for me it was really hard because I I really wanted a more specific purpose for things for a while I sort of yearned for that and so with that design work I really like that about it is that I knew I could envision a home for it somewhere along the way and it felt less selfish in a way because I was thinking about it having some kind of a purpose or being able someone to use it for something and a clearer audience yeah and so I like that but then that also gets in your head a lot because I think then it's harder to just sit around and, and make something for the fun of making it if you've done that for so long that then you start to think, well, if this isn't going to be on fabric or it's not going to be this or that, well, I don't know if I should be spending time on it. So it's been, so this was a really good balance point for me to look at and think about making something for the sake of making it and thinking about it in this particular space for this exhibit. That was a purpose. So that helps. Just having a deadline as opposed to, a, yeah. how did it, coming back to this in a way versus maybe not having done an open-ended project for yeah. a while yeah. and coming back to it, how was it different this time? Um, it was different, I think, because I was thinking when I initially talked to you and we talked about doing an installation I was like yeah sure and and quite a while ago I was doing these installations and I was like younger and single and didn't have a kid and a family and I would go live in these spaces for like a week of time and you know make these giant installations and so I'm just not in that place anymore and so part of it was trying to think about what was something that I thought was possible for me to accomplish but that I was also really interested in genuinely and was something that was authentic to like you know things that I was noticing or the kind of art or things I was interested in drawing or making that maybe didn't necessarily fit into those those other design elements. And so that's sort of where this came about. And quite a while back, I was making these pile drawings that seemed like a, a fitting form for some of the ideas that I was thinking about and things I was writing down and journaling mm-hmm. when I was trying to envision what this would be. So I decided just to go for it and make in the <laughs> focus on that particular format and that concept to figure it out. It reminded me right away of uh, when I was at one of the other artists who was also a parent, we were both parents at the time in grad school, she did a performance during the Wednesday night critique or whatever. She asked me to do the performance with her, which the performance ended up being that she just had strewn out all over the floor a bunch of crap. And the two of us put it all away. It's like every yeah. night, every night. Yeah. And I like, I, when I was doing it with her, I mean, no prompt, she just said, will you do this performance with me? Yeah. And I showed up, just like, put stuff away with me. And yeah. I was I got like, so frustrated and angry, like just as if it were by nightly right. ritual. So then I, I remembered that experience of doing that. And then I saw yeah. these and I thought, well, there's a little more pleasure in this mm-hmm. one. Like for her and for me, it was really about excising frustration. Yeah. And this, this seems like you're appreciating it. Even 
even as you're acknowledging that that struggle. And I do, one of the things I was talking to John about that on the way here, we were talking about like, why would you not put the objects or something or just pile up a bunch of the objects? Mm. And I think that I also, that you're inundated with all of this stuff all the time and it becomes this kind of mass of things or stuff or, and so one of the things I really like about drawing, and when I was doing this, I was thinking about it too, is the pile in the middle, especially is like a lot of my kids' trucks and cars and, and I'm doing what you said you did in that performance, like every night I'm like <laughs> scooping up these things and trying to find a way to categorize, like the little ones go here, but construction goes here. And you know, you're just not even really looking at them as individual little things. And so yeah. I can't, I think it was a quote by someone, but I can't remember once they were saying, basically that drawing is a way to understand something. And I was reading about a project once where, the, where this teacher would have students go out and draw like complicated, like construction equipment or machinery or something and have them kind of try to guess like what that thing did or how it functioned or how it worked. And there's something about drawing where, you know, you just start to understand that thing better and how it works and you can't ever look at that thing the same after you draw it and it's something close to empathy or something but it's not quite that you know and so I that was part of the thing about this that I really enjoyed in the process was that and also the drawings that I was making at home was just like taking time to draw these individual things that are just kind of clutter or this mass of stuff and it makes you like focus on these individual objects in a way that I think is kind of meditative so there was some legitimate observation occurring in these yeah. you're not just making these toys up then. yeah most of them are from from observation and that was kind of a particular motivation of mine the logs not so much you know the other things were a lot of observations so. and so you know I, I can't help but notice that the the drawing idiom is on the illustration side similar yeah. to the work that you do out front and I, I wonder is that a similar thing with a fabric design I mean the way that I approach drawing it yeah. or something I think I mean I bounce around a lot I think in a lot of different ways of, of working and so I really enjoy just really simple lines some of my favorite drawings are I shouldn't admit this, but are my drawings I do during like faculty meetings or something <laughs> where I always have this like black felt tip pen and I'm doing these drawings. So they're this very kind of singular width of line and simplified little icons of things. And I just like the aesthetic of that. There's something really appealing about it. So I was thinking about that with these two. It's just mm -hmm. sort of trying to keep them simple on a simple background. And that came about in these also as just a way of, of working to, to just sort of simplify the chaos by just not adding a lot of shading or, right. you know, other kind of ways to model them so and I think just playing with line and hatching and cross hatching and patterning is something that I enjoy so how are these in particular made are they all hand drawn or a matrix little, in there there's or? a mix so a lot of them are drawn so all the ones on the wall of course are drawn and then on the parts that are kind of coming away from the wall they're mostly drawn but you'll see some repeats if you start looking hmm. and I scanned them and I printed those digitally on my on my Epson so I wanted them to look I had thought about doing screen printing to make multiples of these at first and then I decided to do it digitally and so they're printed digitally on the same paper that the ones are drawn on so it's basically a way to get a bigger mass of them too so I was trying to not print too many of them well I give myself like some lines to follow right where I think well that's too many and you're just copping out <laughs> but this is okay if you print this many so, so I was trying to find the balance there of how many I felt like it was important to draw versus <laughs> print them out you know yeah, <laughs> plus you don't want to have a bunch of repeat in the bottom but then different ones everywhere else so it was sort of a formal concern too. I think it'd be cool to hear a little bit about how you bounced around within the art world mm -hmm. career to career since graduate school. I, I didn't know I had I didn't know that you'd gone to Florida yeah. for that time so teaching yeah. in Florida and then working for fabric design companies yeah, or so that's companies? been on the side mostly so how, kind do, of, how does all those how do those things it all fit together? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good question. When sort of the root of a lot of this stuff was that when I was in graduate school I was 
doing a lot of these still life paintings and gradually like really patterned fabric was finding its way into my still life paintings and that became sort of this obsession with like painting things in these spaces that were very patterned and so I was just accumulating appropriately I'm um, all of these like patterned fabrics and then I was thinking like if I keep doing this I'm just gonna end up with like crazy amount of fabric so then I thought well, why don't you just make up the patterns like they don't have to actually be on the fabric mm -hmm. so then the paintings would have you know lots of different patterns in the space either it was like wallpaper or on a tabletop or on the you know kind of the, the ground space so then I started making up patterns and that's started the drive towards trying to understand like how to make your own patterns and then somewhere along the way I stumbled across the spoon flower someone told me about it where you could print your own fabric and then I started doing these little contests and trying it out because I thought it was fun to figure out how to take these things you've drawn or made or printed and then turn them into fabric. At that point what was your digital experience? Pretty low like I had some Photoshop experience like I was looking the other day laughing at one of the first contests I did on Spoonflower they had this big contract with a fabric company and it was to design something for like a baby boy design and I was like convinced I was gonna win that thing I was like this is so good <laughs> oh my god they're gonna love John I'm just gonna quit I'm just gonna be a fabric designer it's amazing and it's so bad like I looked back at it and I thought like what were you this is nothing <laughs> this is so horrible but like I was just trying to understand how to you know make complicated repeats that you couldn't tell it was like the same thing repeated over and mm -hmm. over and over again and I had pretty little experience I had Photoshop experience but not a lot of it mm -hmm. and so that sort of started you know my goal to learn Illustrator and understand that program more and then learn how to make the repeats so they could be repeated on the fabric and mm -hmm. be kind of a seamless design that oh, oh no tell me again I might have missed it you, you, yeah this was post grad school after grad school yeah you were in Florida this was probably close to when I was leaving my job in Florida okay uh, so you've been teaching in Florida for oh, yeah. a year or two yeah I taught in Florida for three years so let me think about how all this lines up. It's a good question, Chris. We should have like a whiteboard. <laughs> so I got a full-time teaching job in Jacksonville at Florida State College in Jacksonville. And so while I was there, I was doing some painting still, doing a lot more printmaking and screen printing then too. So I was screen printing patterns onto my paintings mm -hmm. and stuff while mm -hmm. I was there and started doing more of that stuff there. And I was teaching. And then I was kind of coming back and forth to Iowa and I didn't love living in Florida. So I decided I was going to come back to Iowa and leave that job, which was a pretty big decision to leave a full-time job and I just thought well you could have continued that's on the end of that <laughs> yeah. you were in a track there, yeah like I was in a track yeah and it was good I really enjoyed the teaching aspect of it but it was just not quite the right fit as a place for me to live and so I ended up coming back to Iowa after that and and before that I should I had done a residency at Aeromont in Tennessee also and lived in Tennessee for a year hmm. and there I had done some screen printing on fabric and just met a lot of people who did craft you know different kinds mm -hmm. of things so mm -hmm. a lot of textile design and other kinds of things that were really influential in kind of opening up my eyes to sort of how you could dip your toe into all these other kind of areas yeah yeah sort really... of open up to that possibility mm -hmm. yeah so that was kind of a big big eye so at the end of Florida then yeah. you start dabbling with spoon flower yeah so I thought you know then I started thinking like well I kind of like the idea of like designing fabric or I don't know how you do that so I just started trying to figure out how you do that <laughs> and mm -hmm. spent a couple of years because I was I started adjuncting when I came back to Iowa just sort of learning how to do it and connecting to the community of people on that Spoonflower website and, and learning how to make repeats and just YouTube or just, did you um, try Linda.com? There's or? some YouTube stuff that's on there. I had a friend who was a graphic designer who did these 
these videos that were about like repeat and stuff, sort of learning it there. And then Illustrator along the way. I got like Illustrator for Dummies, the book. Sure, <laughs> that was my first uh, way of learning it. And then yeah. kind of went from, <laughs> from wow. there, you yeah. know. So it was just kind of gathering information, you know, wherever I could, which was really, it, it took a while to figure out what the heck was going on. Yeah. And then I just started, I went to a uh, quilt market, which is like the industry event for fabric companies and yarn companies and hmm. people who make patterns for sewing and all of, so I just thought well I'm just gonna go and I'll just go show them my patterns. Did I you have them on fabric? Um, I had some have on fabric or, yeah. and then some just on paper to show right. and I have a friend who owns a fabric store so I just like a couple days before quilt market hopped a ride with those guys <laughs> went down to quilt market because it wow. was in St. Louis no in Kansas City and then I just like went around with my portfolio to people which I don't really think is how you're supposed to do that but it ended up working out. <laughs> so it's like, let me introduce myself, here's my portfolio. <laughs> right, I was like, who should I talk to? I've got these patterns. So wow. that uh, that was sort of my first kind of venture into that market. You met with some success? You made I did. There. That's a really, it's a really challenging market I found because at that point I didn't know how to sew and they mm. were like, this is great. Now just show us like how you would use this fabric in a quilt or in this. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Learning how to sew and they wanted me to design my own like quilt patterns. It was really terrifying. Uh, so I know how to sew really well now. But at that point, I mean, that was a big eye opener as far as like what we were talking about, about these things having a purpose, because I was just like, I love these patterns. They're really fun. And one of the challenges in that market that I really hit up against hard was the fact that like, how are you going to use this in a quilt? Or how are you going to use this to make a shirt? Or how, and, and that's what sells that fabric is right. like, you have to be conscious of, you know, what it's going to look like when they chop it all up, because your design is not the end product. Like sure. the end product is this quilt somebody's making for their granddaughter or for, you know, and so that, that I thought was really challenging because there's certain kinds of fabrics that I think are better at that than others and not necessarily the kinds of designs that I make that have a lot of like characters in them. Like I was like into the modern quilting. That's where they kind of put me was in their modern quilting department and that met some success but it wasn't like mm -hmm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's a tricky market to yeah. understand what people... So you always saw want. it as quilt. You didn't see it necessarily as sheet or I um, still do you know, I yeah. so, so I think one of the things I'm trying to work on so I teach full-time and so this is hard you know it's yeah. like it would be great to not to have somebody I'm working on like getting an agent and I'm sort of been back and forth between a couple different things with that because I think a lot of that stuff would be better off on stationery or wrapping paper or surface design that's on things that go in your kitchen or in your home or on your comforter or something like that and so yeah. there are other areas where I think it would be more those fabrics designs would work better as something else and yeah. so I still work on that and I sell that fabric on Spoonflower pretty regularly people mm. buy it because like the like the roller derby fabric like every week I sell roller derby fabric because roller derby fabric is not something that a lot of fabric companies make so there's sort of like a little niche you know niche market we have that on the <laughs> sign up front if anyone's walking out the door you see oh yeah yeah it looks great out there the yeah. Yeah. yeah it was really <laughs> it's really fun so that's still something I'm I work because I have so much surface design work that the fabric industry I learned a lot, but it was it was not lucrative, and there was a lot of free work I did on the front end of just like creating digital like mockups of what a quilt would look like or a bag before the fabric even got made, so that they could show that to the shops and say, "Here's what your customer could do with this." And that was all on me to like convince them that that would be something they would want to buy. And if some of the lines got made, some of them didn't. The licensing fees are not fantastic, so anyone who's making a good bit of money in that market 
market is either selling a bunch of their own patterns that go with their fabric or they're licensing that same design to four other companies for other product and mm. I think that's just not something I've had the ability to like manage with a full-time job I think an agent it. would actually yeah facilitate that better. Yeah, you know, because they'll have connections with wrapping paper companies or greeting card companies or whatever. And, and there's big like conferences or market shows like Surtex is the surface design and textile conference that they have in New York. And, you know, you just go with all these with all your patterns presented and little like icons so they can say, oh, we could make a bedspread with this and then you could put this on the lamp and this on some wall art and then they'll license your work. But they're pretty expensive to show your work in those environments, mm -hmm. but the payoff is pretty right. big too if you end up licensing all of these things. Right, so right. it's in there, there's a seed planted and at sure. some point it would be ideal, but. Well, that's, that's what I was curious about yeah. was that spoon flower seems like a great entryway yeah, yeah. into the market to force yourself to become serious as a designer yeah but it's not lucrative in and of itself no, is that correct no there's no way you're gonna no you're not you gonna can like put a thousand patterns on there <laughs> yeah. you're not gonna make that yeah. much money is that correct yeah no not really you i think it's 10 percent or something is your like is your payoff mm -hmm. um, from that and so like it's good exposure like people have seen my stuff on there and uh, and you know it's just like a side income like it basically pays for the fabrics that I'll buy if I want to do that, you know. But they're hosting the website, taking care of the ordering, the printing, the shipping, like they're doing everything. You so you get a very royalty. small percentage, you know, of that. So, and some people will buy yardage from there and then sell it on their own Etsy shop or something like that mm. as a way to bump up what their profits are, mm. you know. But again, it's like the time to manage this right now is low. Well, that's interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see how that progresses. Yeah. I, I had no idea there would be a designer agent that actually is a middle person for those things. Yeah. But that's the same for illustrators. I mean, illustrators have agents too. Yeah. Right? And, and yeah. I guess that segues to the illustration part too. I mean, yeah. how, how was that developed? Did that come out of fabric design or was it a separate thing? Yeah, or? well actually it came from a realization with those fabric designs is that a lot of the fabric designs I have had characters in them and that didn't sell well in fabric. <laughs> and so then I was like a more character driven market is obviously like children's books or things like that so I decided to start trying to understand that market and see what that's about and so I've been really lucky because there have been just people who I've like connected to who know something that leads me to something else so mm -hmm. I can figure out those those different areas and so when I had Emmett my son we started reading lots of books of mm -hmm. course and so it rekindled this sort of just notion I had about illustrating children's books someday and figuring that out. So there's a society of children's book writers and illustrators, and there's a local group, and then there's like a Midwest group, and then there are national and international conventions. Mm. And so I went to one of those, and they have portfolio reviews, and they have illustrator intensives. And so the first one I went to was you wanted, you had to illustrate a scene from Little Red Riding Hood. And then you all got together with all these other illustrators and these art directors looked at it and talked about the pros and cons and whatever. And so wow. I've done a few of those conferences and made some really good connections through the portfolio reviews, which hmm. is how I ended up doing those illustrations for the, the magazines for Cricket Media in Chicago, because I met with one of those art directors through a portfolio review and he really liked my work. And so I've done some things hmm. uh, through that. And it's really, I really, 
really enjoy that because I love getting just a story and then getting to yeah. illustrate it has been really fun. And that environment is much more clear cut, which I really like because the world of licensing and potential, you know, royalties you will get from something is way more loosey goosey that I don't love. Whereas something like when you're working with publishing, they're like, this is what we're going to pay you. This yeah. is what we want. This is the size it needs to be. Here's the story. And as far as business goes, like that's the kind of business relationships sure. that I enjoy because it's clear cut. Whereas once you meet you like know, a production editor that you like and that likes you, you're probably yeah. going to be in a stable for yeah. a long time to come. Yeah, I like that predictability, whereas that fabric world was a little, oh. it was hard to nap. And all the deals were different with different companies. And, you know, there was like a lot of difference there that was hard to navigate. But it's been really enjoyable doing those. I've only done a few of them, but they, the people that I've worked with have given me a lot of leeway. Like they see your work and they say, well, we want you to do this. And then they just let you run with it, which is really fun for an artist to yeah. be like trusted that you're gonna, you know, yeah. come up with something that they'll like. Were, were your paintings back in grad school, were they narrative paintings? No, they were basically all still life, you know. I see. Grad school, I just felt like I was kind of a bad painter. Well, I need to learn how to paint even better. That's what mm -hmm. I, so that was my drive was to paint from life as much as I could while I was there. And, and, was and these, these illustrations are, they do have some kind of narrative flow or, I mean. I, yeah, so for those portfolios, I'll come up with a character or a set of characters and then try to come up with a few different like scenes that I can illustrate with those characters as a way to sort of show their personalities or something like that and so they're really fun because I've always doodled characters and little people and animals and things you know so it's really fun to have a home for those things because yeah. like especially in grad school when I was like trying to be a really like serious oil painter it's like the little cartoon doodles and things you make like don't have a home and right. so you just think like that they're not I don't know you know yeah. they start to lose their values that that they have to have a value but I always felt kind of bummed that these things I loved making so much like didn't have a home so it was kind of fun to have a home <laughs> well I mean I think it's really interesting to think that you were implementing these patterns into the painting and it eventually just became patterns themselves became mm -hmm. more important. And, yeah. Uh, I think that's oftentimes the case as we artists of whatever eventual, you know, media are emptying out all the stuff that we think is important that it yeah. really isn't after a while. It's been a pretty natural evolution, you know, I think like having a kid and then getting back to reading children's books yeah. and starting to really look at them and learn about that art form. It's been, it's really enjoyable, you know, because every night you're reading like three or four yeah. or ten books. I mean, some are really <laughs> profoundly beautiful and some are just, you yeah. can tell, are just <laughs> produced. You, you start to see. learn the, the difference between all of them. So that's been really, I like how it's nothing has felt like super forced and there's sort of been this natural flow back and forth. I mean, it's some part of me thinks like, you're just all over the place, like you're here and, you're <laughs> and there's a little bit of self-consciousness about that. But I also try to not give myself too much grief about it because you know I have to be excited about what I'm doing and not trying to like force myself into some particular like narrow area or yeah. I'm just not gonna do it you know I mean, it's, a, it's a great array of stuff I have one other question that I keep asking these questions okay <laughs> one last one and that is the now at this point the relationship between illustrator and handmade mm -hmm. like, it seems like you really play with the tension between the two like uh -huh. your illustrator and Photoshop interactions are pretty complex now the layering is yeah. pretty complex but you do seem to use a hand-drawn element yeah. so how does yeah. that how does that work for you at this point yeah I feel really tethered to making something handmade in a really positive way not tethered in a bad way but because I I cannot stand sitting in front of a computer day after day I just will lose my mind you know and a big part of the reason I started making art or 
pursued art in college was I took a painting class, a printmaking class, and I was just in love with like making this stuff with my hands. And so I really feel like it's important for me to not let go of that stuff. And there's also just so many little happy accidents that have happened when I allow myself to do the handmade part mixed with the digital part that would have never happened had I not had the handmade part in there. So like for my illustrations, if anyone saw, I mean, people can see how I create them, but it's, it's really absurd because I could just make all these shapes in Illustrator and then put them into Photoshop and do this. But like I will, for some of those illustrations, like each part of like the lion, his head, his nose, his mouth, his eyes are cut out of black paper with an X-Acto mm. and then scanned in. Then I add color to those digitally and layered like collage them together digitally, but I cut all the pieces first and just like spray adhesive them to paper and then scan mm. those in. But some of the fun things that have happened out there have been like what happens with the positive and the negative shape when you're cutting out a little stencil and these mm. like accidents that have happened that give them these kind of unique shapes and kind of quirkiness that it's just too cleaned up in Illustrator, yeah. you know, and yeah. too predictable. And I really enjoy that stuff. It's very calming and meditative for me to like do something hands-on. I like what feels like the authenticity of it to me. I, I know you could mimic all of that stuff completely right. digitally, right. you know, but I really feel it's just important for me to do that because I don't want to lose that practice either. Like I don't want to lose the practice of drawing and painting and printing textures and cutting I just feel like it keeps me grounded in a way that not necessary but it's important to me <laughs> to do that you know right. yeah. yeah no I mean I think it, it yeah. does add an aspect of something physical and material that you know we're all moving further and further away from in our daily yeah. lives so right. keep it as a spiritual practice but also <laughs> right. as an aesthetic in the work itself like it, you can see that it comes through yeah you know? I teach a digital class and one semester I had a student I was just like I don't know why I need a sketchbook this is a digital art class why do I need a sketchbook and I was like Oh, like, we can't lose it totally. You got to just, you know. So I feel very. I'm trying to pass on that to other people too. So. Yeah, I think it's harder, harder and harder for probably the last generation, right? Mm -hmm. That really had it pre the pre digital experience. I yeah. mean, now my son, the phone. He's had the phone since he was 11 or 12. You know, yeah. and yeah. but I typically feel like it's useful for me to have a sketch in mind that I'm kind of headed for. But it's you know grayscale and in pencil or something, and so then there's all this kind of other stuff that's not answered like where I'm going to use the cool and warm colors or if this is going to be desaturated or there'll be a lot of texture or like all of those things I think come together as I'm composing digitally and so it's not 100% figured out you know I sort of have a vague idea of how it's all going to play out but there's still this kind of element of surprise and in that layering process that's really fun and keeps me motivated to do the digital part so I'm not just like oh, Photoshop again <laughs> you know like I needed to have some unexpected quality so that I'm interested in doing it and seeing what happens you know I'm interested to know where you grew up and yeah. if there's artists in your family or are there any particular artists who are mentors to you yeah. and and where you teach right now and what all you teach and for the illustrator part, is there a publisher that just tells you who thinks you would be good to illustrate this yeah. and assigns it to you? And do you ever work with the author at all when you're doing the illustrations? And are there any famous authors we would know that you've illustrated <laughs> their books? My family is all from South Louisiana, sort of like oh, deep Cajun wow. country. Uh, and my whole family lives there. So I'm the only one who doesn't live there. And so I grew up there uh, in a town called Homa. It's about 60 miles uh, southwest of New Orleans. And so that's where I was born and raised. And then I 
uh, went to LSU for undergrad, and there is actually where one of my most influential mentors was a man named Michael Crespo, who was one of the painting teachers there. And he was just fantastic, like had a lot of faith in me, which was super important, and really encouraged me to continue pursuing art. My uh, there's not really any other artist. I shouldn't say that. So I have an uncle who uh, was a painter and this definitely pins me to where I'm from is that my first oil painting experience is that he would do the cypress knee paintings. And so he would like go out into the swamps and chop these. I don't know if you know what a cypress knee <laughs> yeah. is, but it's this like root uh, that, you know, that comes out. And so he would slice it. So it had like a face to it and then sand it. And then he did these paintings of swamp scenes on these cypress knees <laughs> and he would sell those. And they were really good. He did like these ducks, like, you know, flying through the swamp. And so he taught me how to do that. I mean, it was very sort of Bob Ross style, like get some white on the brush here and some black, <laughs> you know, like make it. So I did a lot of swamp knee painting when I was like a kid. And then, but I did, and my dad was a, a woodworker, made a lot of like wooden toys and crafts and stuff like that, but not any other people sort of involved in the arts necessarily. So when I went to LSU, I got involved there and I went for pre-med initially and then accidentally took a printmaking class. Mm -hmm. So that's where I did most of my... They just draw you in in that printmaking area. <laughs> and then let me think about the rest of the evolution. So then I, I came to grad school at Iowa, mostly because there was a connection between that professor. I uh, had gone to grad school with some of the professors here and knew of Iowa because it was not even on my radar to come to Iowa. And I was like, I'm going to move to New York and do all this. And then he's like, you should look at Iowa. I was like, <laughs> so I came and I really loved it. I was really excited to move somewhere new and different. And so I came here and, and, and did that. And so I bounced around a lot. And so currently I'm teaching at Kirkwood in Cedar Rapids and full-time professor there. And I teach, fittingly, I teach a whole range of stuff because I teach drawing, design fundamentals, digital art, printmaking, art appreciation online. And so that's sort of where I where I am now. And then the publishing part you were mentioning. So I've only had three jobs. So I just started uh, doing this illustration work for kind of the children's book world. I guess it's been within the last two years. So the two of the things I've done have been with Cricket Media in Chicago, and they will just send me a story and then have me illustrate it. And there's the not magazine. any the magazine. Yeah, yeah. That one is a magazine. The magazine that I've worked with is called Faces, and it's aimed towards middle school uh, age kids. And it's sort of, it's basically, it's supposed to be based on travel or different cultures or different all kinds of different things so they include different like mythology or folk tales revolving around a subject or a particular culture or something and then a couple of the issues that I worked with were about certain animals so it was about dogs or about horses mm -hmm. so they involved different folk tales or stories about that uh, and that one I don't have any relationship to the authors they just give me the work and do it typically if you're illustrating a children's book you will I haven't had that moment happened yet. I'm hoping it will. But then you do work with the author to do some of that. The publishers typically, they have kind of a list of illustrators that they are interested in working with. And so one of the things about children's book publishing that's interesting is I've had lots of times in my life had people like, I've written this really fun story. I'd love it. You would be a great illustrator for it. And it's a really bum rap for the illustrator because publishing companies almost never will take that duo of 
the writer and the illustrator that they have illustrators they feel really strongly about that will serve as their brand and their voice and then if they're interested in a story they will take that story and then source out the illustrator that they think will drive that story the best my current approach is to go to these conferences and if they still operate on postcards which is kind of amazing and they you send out postcards and they they either go in the slush pile or whatever or they tack it up and then hmm. there's all these stories about like you know they've got your they've had your postcard up there for a few years you put and an they, illustration your yeah so you just choose something or a few and just send them out to people and get them so it's interesting it's kind of a, a weird but again with that it's like you know no one's quitting their day job doing that much illustrating I don't think you know right. like you it's it's a certain circumstance I think that you have to be in to actually be making your living is it easier to write and illustrate your own story they sometimes they like that but often they'll take like I have a good friend who had been making all of these beautiful illustrations for this story and they they took her story they loved her story but they're not taking those illustrations and they are beautiful you know and it just mm. like broke my heart because you think like oh Jeez. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's I think that's that's more common than mm -hmm. not, you know. What kind of material you've talked about, you know, designing things, what type of materials have you worked on, printed your fabric, and what's been your experience with different fabrics? Different fabrics, yeah. I haven't ventured too far into too much, I'll say. So I've had it printed on just basic quilting cotton to make quilts or garments or something like that. And then you can, on school power, you can print on anything. It's really wild, they have all kinds of stuff. So I printed on canvas or uh, linen cotton canvas and made like tea towels or calendars or stuff like that that people hang in their house or use. And then I've made a lot of clothes for my kid uh, and printed on knit, like stretch knit cotton and stuff like that and made pants or shirts or whatever out of that stuff so it's been mostly kind of functional <laughs> stuff like that too and we're working on a wallpaper project for his room which may involve these trucks and for my own stuff i have i've made like bar stool covers and pillows and stuff like that with some of their they have like thicker like twill and stuff like that that you can print on too so there's a pretty like endless they even have like i think it's called sport lycra or something i mean you could my husband bikes so i always tell him i make you like a really weird biking kit out of my fabric one day <laughs> you're gonna have to wear it <laughs> I mean, some, some nice bike pants <laughs> it's a good threat but we'll see if it happens <laughs> well any other questions i am just curious yeah you're teaching mm -hmm. and if you're teaching your kirkwood you're probably teaching a pretty heavy load that's right yeah you are doing this other artwork, commissioned artwork? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Family, child, do you have time for art beyond or trouble, or how do you get the time or yeah. make the time to do what artists mm. do? Yeah, it's tricky. You know, my husband and I are both artists, but we both also have full-time jobs otherwise and so it's either before Emmett wakes up or after he goes to bed is our you know time or during nap times and so it's a tricky period I will say like I was super grateful for this opportunity because it got me back to something that I've been missing for a while and having the motivation to just think critically about just put ideas into some form was really positive and it really was really good timing because it's tricky it's really hard to keep it there when you're you know he's three which is a 
challenge. They call that the three nature years, and I understand why. <laughs> Year. Uh, so it's definitely challenging. So that actually was part of the motivation for the name of the show and just the overall thing, too, was the only way that I get anything done is by little bits accumulating, you know. And I used to spend, you know, I'd just spend hours in the studio working on something and having that mental space to think about it and work on it and just kind of like linger in that space and I just don't have that luxury anymore and so I have to rely on these like little bits piling up to to become something because it's really really hard to make it happen <laughs> yeah it's a challenging point right okay well if that's it for questions we'll we'll call the day and Greta we really want to thank you for doing the show yeah. and uh, coming and joining us today and thanks everyone yeah. for coming thank you guys I really appreciate it this has been Q&A, recorded in the Kadich Gallery at St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. The Kadich and Morrissey Galleries are located in the Galvin Fine Arts and Communications Center at 2101 North Gaines Street between Locust and Lombard. All content of this podcast is the exclusive property of St. Ambrose University, copyright 2017, and may not be utilized without expressed written permission.